filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson. Ben Bromley is on vacation. As you can tell from the sound of my voice, I too am still on vacation, but uh, Ben is dealing with what may be the most locked down computer network in vacation history. He's having some technical issues and won't be able to join us for, for this episode where we have uh, a lot of soccer to talk about. Uh, we've got a scoreless draw in Cincinnati to break down. We've got a 4-2 win over the defending champs to cover. And we've got a game this Sunday against Montreal at 8 o'clock at Audi Field to preview. You can watch that one, of course, in all the usual places, NBC Sports Washington, TeleExitos, DCUnited.com, ESPN+. Um, we're going to be talking about all of that. But before we do, Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I have, I, I took it real, real simple because I have no time or energy left in me uh, for anything. Um, it turns out there's too much soccer. We knew it was coming, uh, and now I'm in it, and it's too much. There's too many things. Um, so the energy I had was to uh, put some ice in a glass and pour some Cazadores Blanco over that ice, and that's it. So that's what I got. Tequila on the rocks. Nice. We've got, we've got an all-tequila episode coming tonight. I don't know if that bodes good or ill, but uh, I've got a Paloma going made with nice. the classic grapefruit soda squirt uh not what i usually go with when i'm at home but it's what they had out here in rural kentucky so that's that's what i've gotten it makes it makes a decent paloma i won't lie like it's it's got enough flavor and not just pure i think I, i think squirt is actually the um the recommended uh like if you look up recipes that came out before especially before um the the Q brand that you find in most grocery stores in the East Coast, um, I think you actually would find uh, Squirt listed by name in most recipes. Huh. That's good to know. I fell back. I thought I was, uh, I, I, I'm all, you know, hoity-toity East Coast. I thought I was slumming it with Squirt, but here I am just falling back into the original. I usually get, like, Italian grapefruit soda for it um, when I'm at home, but like I really like just the flavor of that, especially like the pink grapefruit soda. I like the look, I like the flavor, but this works very, very well too. And I, I see why it may be the original, or at least yeah. you know one of the originals. I mean, I mean, I I haven't read the like Spanish language recipes, so I I, I by right. the original, what I really mean is like the original in English in like 2012. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Right. Um. One one programming note before we get to the soccer. We're coming to you a little later than usual this week because, as I mentioned, Ben and I are both on vacation. And Jason is watching, I think, eight soccer games an hour 
every hour of every day uh, at this point. So we, we didn't have it in us to, to record earlier in the week. So we're, we're doing one big late week episode next week. We'll return to our, our normal uh, schedule. At least that's the, the plan. Who knows what, what the future actually holds. Um, Leo Messi may fall out of the sky onto buzzard point and we'll just, I, I don't know what will happen to the podcast at that point. Uh, but no, the plan is to get back. He's not going to be playing soccer though. He's going to be doing podcasting with us. Yes. That's the idea. Yeah, he, we, he may we've amassed enough money. Filibuster. He, he may take over filibuster and kick us all off of it. And I don't know if I would be able to say no to that. Like he's, <laughs> he's messy. Like, Okay, you defer to as Messi. Lo- as long as he, as as long as his intention is to do the same kind of show. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I I feel like there's a general rule that you should defer to Messi in all things except uh, your taxes. Then you should not defer to Messi on those. Yeah, I, unless you like consult, getting in trouble. Consult. This is not this is not uh, my financial advice to you, but also consult an accountant instead of Messi. Or Messi's dad. They're both bad, yeah. bad sources for tax advice, uh, historically. Uh, let's get to the soccer. We're going to start with the more recent result, mostly because it's more fun. It's a lot more fun. Ola Kamara and Jordi Reyna each scored a brace as DC United gave the crew their first on-field loss at the new Lower.com field, 4-2. to two. The first off-field loss at Lower.com field is, of course, the name lower.com field it's terrible it really is it's (laughs) so bad it it's just it's a badly named company as a start um but then that company needs to realize like our name is not adaptable to certain things and one of those things is uh stadium naming rights uh and yet somehow here we are with lower.com field as a stadium name it, it kind of under it kind of undoes the whole uh the whole concept of them having a new stadium i feel like uh yeah I'm the sure pictures of fans... it looked really great though like yeah the, yeah the crew fans will really probably dumb. disagree with me but this is this stadium exists as like uh i've i've heard told that it exists it's not real to me yet um and so its name is as much of it as anything and the name is real bad yeah, that's fair. Um, what was not bad was Hernan Mosada's game plan coming to this one because it worked really, really well. Uh, a goal and a penalty off of the press, two goals from transition plays. Um, the, the plan was not the usual all-out all, all out pressing very high up the field. It was a mid-block with selective pressure, uh, almost like a, a, a strategy Ben Olfen would would throw out from time to time and it worked like a charm against the crew yeah uh the the structure of it the the efficacy of that pressure uh you know i wrote about this on the site uh late last night sometime i'm not even sure when it happened because the olympics have broken my internal clock but um i see the words on the site so i know i did it um but yeah they 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 knew where the weak points are in Columbus's build out, where they would get casual or they would be a little careless or which players tend to take one extra touch or telegraph their turns. Um, All of these little things that are giveaways. um, There's a clarity in how DC doesn't just pick up on them, but picks up on them fast. Um, And so even though playing out of the mid block leaves them with this extra ground to cover, to make that pressure, 
it meant that when the ball started going to the player that they suspected, the pressure's already coming. And so if Jonathan Mensah gets everything right and his turn is quick and his first touch is perfect, then maybe the press doesn't actually get rewarded. Um, But if he takes any time on the ball, if he makes a turn that is too obvious, any of that stuff, all of a sudden he's in trouble. That's what happened on... uh, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and DC United helped their case because Ola Kamara was there blocking passing lanes anytime he did try to turn. Um, it wasn't just one person pressing. It was still a team structure. It was just triggered um, a little bit more selectively than we're used to. Yeah, and, and this is why it's not just, you know, guys running hard uh, and going after the ball. It, it's in a very specific structure. Um, there are players whose job, when the ball is in a certain zone, that their job is to press. They have to run hard. It's a sprint. Um, There are other players whose job it is, is to just occupy some space, make sure that when this guy turns, when he looks for his escape routes to get out of this pressure, one of them is blocked off by just, in this case, you know, the the one we're talking about here is Jonathan Mensah turns and Ola Kamara is in the space that he wants to pass there. And he's like, well, now what am I going to do? And in the end, what he did on that, this is on the the penalty, um, was sort of, I think he wanted to like shimmy and and fake uh, Paredes out. So he bought time to go towards the corner and then turn and just hoof it up the touchline. Uh, but then he got in two minds about that and just sort of like did a little toe tap on the ball. And that was it. Um, which uh, this is the whole idea, though. This is the whole idea that your 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 pressure coming early, the structure being right, leaving no escapes. What this does is it puts doubt in players' minds it makes it the the degree of difficulty for them to get out of the situation goes up much faster than they expected. So instead of going in, you know, you go into that situation expecting, Oh, I just got to complete like a 15 yard pass in a straight line with no one between, you know, no one to curl the ball around or go over the top of. And then it's not that, and you have to adjust in a split second. It's tough. This is soccer is a hard game and DC's entire way of doing things is how do we make the game harder in moments where people don't expect it to be hard. They're expecting it to be easy, and then all of a sudden it's difficult. Um, And in this game, they knew when Columbus wouldn't be expecting those difficulties, and they provided those difficulties. And, you know, it doesn't always turn into two goals. doesn't often turn into two goals directly. Um, But you disrupt the other team, you throw them off their rhythm, and they struggle to do all the rest of what they're trying to do. Um, And that is really, this was like a textbook example of why a team would bother with a pressing structure at all. Yeah, Caleb Porter seemed really frustrated and confused by the mistakes that that Abu Bakr Keita and Jonathan Mensah both had with those turnovers. And um, I'm not sure why he's so confused, because it's a pressing system. You know, those situations are going to come up. I think he expected his guys to just play through the pressure and not make those kinds of mistakes. But this, this pressing setup is not just about applying pressure. It's basically trying to, one of the, the byproducts of it is removing the other team's center backs from being in a flow state. They have to think about things they're not used to thinking about. And that, that throws everything off. We've seen it with players when you get when you get the yips or something, you're thinking about your mechanics instead of just playing. You're, mm-hmm. you're, thinking about what you have to do instead of just doing it. And that makes everything harder. It makes even the simplest things a lot harder uh, because you start thinking about them and getting in your own head. And it leads to further mistakes down the road, which is one of the reasons why DC United has 
created so many red cards for the other mm-hmm. team over the course of, of the season. It's because these players are in their own heads in a way that they're not used to being. And that, that if it's not an explicit goal of Losada's system, it's certainly uh, a result of it. And I absolutely love it. Uh, another thing I love to see during this game was Jordy Reyna finally breaking his duck, getting his first uh, goals for DC United, his first brace in MLS, um, and uh, by far his best showing in black and red or, or marble and blue, as, as the case may be. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, I, it's interesting because we, 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 aren't, we aren't, haven't talked about the Cincinnati game yet. We're, we're going towards it. Um, but some of the reaction to that game was that Reyna was had played badly. Um, and I think we're looking at the tip of the iceberg. If, if your perspective on his performance in that game was that he was bad, you're looking only at the very last thing. Uh, you're not looking at all the other stuff. And all the other stuff was actually pretty good. The only reason he, he was frustrating in that game was that he did all the other stuff quite well. Um, he just, when he had his moments where he had to, uh, finish a playoff and turn it into a goal, it didn't work out. Um, but some of the other stuff, some of the hold-up play, the runs he was making were very close to being good. Um, and in this game, he took that next step. He he pushed it over from very close to being good to actually being good. Um, and that that made a huge difference. It was uh, it it's nice to see um, you know Rena get over a game like that because that's a game that could be one where you get you know, bogged down, uh, you get down on yourself because all of a sudden you're, you're offside on a goal that counted and it, and it wasn't, you didn't even need to be offside. So your little, your small mistake um, in the middle of do, trying to do something good ended up ruining it. Um, and he could have easily, especially with how his time with DC has gone, it could have been the thing that really, you know, kind of put him in a bad place mentally for this game. Uh, and instead he went out there and looked like he'd completely, you know, it never happened. Um, the good stuff from that game, maybe he took as uh, a lesson for himself. He said, okay, I did this, this, and this, and that's really good. I'm, I'm confident about that. Um, I just need to do this other thing. And I know how to do this other thing. I've done this before. Uh, I've, I've scored goals. I've uh, finished off plays. I've had assists. Um, and it's, it's all easy. It's easy to say that stuff, but to really believe it and to bring that, uh, belief to the game, uh, I think it's huge for DC because this is a team that has definitely needed other options that are not, uh, you know, we've got Paredes and Nahar as dribbling threats out wide. We've got Ola Kamara scoring lights out, which we're going to talk about. Um, but what we haven't seen a lot of from DC, we've got a lot of high work rate guys like Ariola and Drew Scundridge. Um, what we haven't seen too much of is a clever player closer to goal. Edison Flores was starting to show it, but it got hurt. Um, and a lot of, you know, Jordi Reyna, or I'm, I'm sorry, Yamil Assad has been sort of in and out in terms of being that guy. Sometimes he just, we get the effort guy, but not the clever guy. Um, and we've talked about this on the show. Like DC needs that change of pace player to add something to their attack, to mix the, to, to get the balance right of the roles. And um, seeing Reyna be the clever guy and yet get the reward um, of these goals, this, this, you know, standout performance, he's up for player of the week. Um, I think it's potentially huge for him now, you know, consistency is the next step, but you know, um, as far as turning the corner and going from threatening to be good to actually being good, um, this was a, you know, pretty close to as good as it gets. 
Yeah, I think it also helped him that uh, there was an actual center forward in this game, and he mm-hmm. was not having to play act as a center forward like he did in Cincinnati. Um, the center forward in this one, of course, was Ola Kamara, who has scored a goal for every hour he has been on a soccer field in 2021. 17 games into the season, he only has 534 minutes, but is two off the Golden Boot League, uh, has about a third of the minutes of the leader, Raul Rui Diaz. Um, he, he, we, we've talked about it. He's, he just keeps scoring, even when he has a miss, which he, he didn't in this game. He didn't, well, he had one shot that he skied, but it wasn't like a major opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but he keeps finding ways to score goals from the run of play, from penalties. He just he keeps scoring. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, we, we talked about this before about how his improved fitness was, it seemed to me, lending, it, lending itself to more confidence. And that confidence is now manifesting in goals. Um, you know, the, the early season discussion of Ola Kamara was that he had to go. He was, you know, too injured, too, too slow, too this and that. And it was like, I, we kept trying to say, it's, these are 2020 beliefs. The guy looks different this year. You've got to evaluate him now rather than on last year, last year's gone. Um, and now I think, you know, the, the consistency that he's scoring with has made it really difficult for anyone to say otherwise, because um, his scoring rate is way ahead of even Chicharito, who I think is on 10 goals in like 800 something minutes. Um, and that's, and that's it. Those two are in a class by themselves and really Kamara's in a class by himself. And then Chicharito's like a second tier down. And then it's everyone else in terms of, um, producing goals uh per minute it's it's pretty great the 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 variety of goals we're getting from him um the fact that these the, the pressing style means that when dc creates transit or can't create um chances through its press when its press actually breaks the ball loose and and you're you're coming in the kind of chance you're creating in that moment is a lot like the kind of chance that kamara thrived uh, in with Columbus, they they created their chances very differently. It was through their their possession, stretching teams out wide and opening channels up for him to run. Um, but when you press a team and you win the ball off of them, and they're they're in a in possession shape rather than an out of possession shape, what happens when that turnover comes is that the channels are very big because you're stretched out. And so uh, instead of stretching the other team out with the ball, DC is letting them stretch themselves out and then taking the ball from them and creating these chances for Kamara. And it turns out this is this is what he needed was, yes, improved fitness. The team had to work with him on that. And he's, to his credit, come through the other side of that. Um, you know, some of the some of the absences he's had this year have been not really a fitness thing. He gets hit in the face with a clearance. Um, that's not really one where you can say, oh, you know, they're they're training too hard or they're not training hard enough. That's just bad luck. Um but yeah, when he's been on the field, DC creates the kind of chances that he needs them to create to be at his best, and he's returned the favor by putting most of them away. Um, it's been uh, it's been huge for this team because as much as everything is going well from a process perspective, if this team didn't have somebody burying these chances, if if Kamara were the 2020 version of himself, then I don't think we're talking about a team that's you know we're talking about six, seven points further down the table. And it's like, well, we're promising, but we're not quite good enough. And we're very frustrating because we're almost good. There's a lot of that going on. But Kamara's the guy right now more than anyone else that is turning that 
all that promise into uh, uh, the final product. Yeah, one thing I want to mention, too, with Reina and Ola Kamara, both of whom are on the team of the week for MLS uh, this week, and Hernan Lozada is the coach of the week. Um, they both are doing work off the ball as well. Reina created Ola's first goal in this one by pressing Keita. And then Ola, on, on Reina's first goal, made a, a fantastic, unselfish run to push the defenders out of the way and set up Reina's free header on Nahar's cross. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was textbook center forward play from Kamara. And uh, longtime listeners of this show know that I love the first run, that, that near post run that every center forward should make 90% of the time that they're making any runs in the box. They need to make that first run. And he did it, and it led to a goal. And um, that is one of my favorite things to see from a striker, especially one who's in form, because it shows that he's out to win. He's not just out to, to score goals for himself. He's, he's doing the work for the whole team. And uh, it just makes me real happy. Uh, another guy out there doing a lot of work for the team, he actually subbed in for Ola Kamara at halftime, is Drew Skundrich, who came in. There was a little formation shift. He was kind of playing – in uh, central midfield for this, uh, but, but had license to get up. He got an assist on Jordi Reyna's second goal, um, finding Reyna on the outlet pass, putting the ball exactly where it needed to be uh, for Reyna to run at the defense and, and score a beautiful left-footed curler that's also up for goal of the week. There's lots of mm-hmm. voting to do. <laughs> lots of stuff for, for lots of accolades for D.C. United this week. Yeah, and, and Skuntrich is, uh, I, I think this was a game where we saw some progress from him. Um, and, and I, I kind of wanted to, I've been thinking about it a lot today. Um, the idea of who Skundrich is out that's out there that we see on Twitter or wherever, um, is that he's a hardworking guy. He's very fit. He's high effort. Um, and that's kind of all it is. Um, and you can find guys like that coming through the college system or off of any USL roster. Like they're, they're, American soccer is not short on people who can run forever and will will run forever if you ask them to. Um, what Scundridge brings to the table that I think we I think is going unappreciated is no matter how DC wants to set up, whether they want to be a high pressing team and they need him as the third member of that front three, which is not a natural position for him, um, or if they play out of this mid block, like like we've seen some of that time, he's been part of the the attacking trio. Some of the time, he's been that third central midfielder, like he was in Columbus. But whatever the role is, um, what Skundrich has been able to do that keeps him on the field, it's not just work rate; it's his ability to understand the team shape needs, uh, and so it's not just hard work from him. It's also understanding the spaces he needs to be in at all times. And it doesn't matter if they're high pressing and he gets it then. And, you know, some players are very good at high pressing, but aren't very good at the mid block side. Some players are very good at the mid block side, but don't really know. They, they press hard without pressing smart. Um, Skundrich does all of it at a high level. The, the off the ball stuff, the out of possession stuff, the, it's the boring stuff. Uh, it's it's the the video room uh, study kind of stuff. All of that stuff he does ex- extremely well. He's one of the better players on the entire team at that stuff. And there's a reason why he has quietly put together more minutes than a lot of players that we would think would have played more than him. He's played more than Felipe um, as an example, and they both played similar roles. And he's he's often had an edge there. 
Um, and it's not that Felipe is playing badly. It's that Skundrich has been able to bring sort of the, the effort that we all see, but also the understanding of what his job is in a given moment. Um, but in this game in particular, what I want to highlight isn't just, you know, you like you mentioned, the assist was good. But what leads to the assist is something that I think we wouldn't have seen from Skundrich as recently as, you know, two months ago. Um, I have to check. I, I briefly had to check the calendar to even see what two months ago means because I, I'm lost in time. Um, but in this game, when they made the sub, uh, they went from 3-4-3 to what I would say is 5-3-2, and he was part of that midfield three. And when you look at who's out there in the uh, you know the front five at that point, it's Skundrich, Moreno, and Felipe in the midfield, and then Reyna and Paredes are your forwards. When you look at that group, what you what you could run the risk of is too many players who are either creators only or are deferential in some way. And Skundrich has been, for good reasons, deferential a lot of the season because he knows he's not as technically gifted as Flores. Um, he knows he doesn't quite have Ariola's gifts. So he has to be deferential to some of these guys. But when when you have the lineup DC had on the field in this game, you you one risk you can run when you're that short on players isn't necessarily a shortage of class on the ball or invention. It's too many guys that want to be differential at the same time. Everyone's looking for, you know, like, I'm going to make this run for you so that you can do it. And they're like, well, I was thinking that you were going to do it. Um, and everyone's trying to pass the ball off and no one wants to be the guy. And the reason that goal happens, the reason that break forward happens is that Skundrick gets on the ball and he he wasn't deferential. He didn't say, well, this is more of a Felipe thing than a Drew Skundrick thing. He said, no, this is I this is a moment where I need to make the move. And so he drives out of midfield. He pushes Columbus out of their shape. And all of a sudden, Columbus goes from not in a great way to scrambling. And that gives him the room and Jordi Reyna the room, the time for them to work together to make the pass that becomes the goal. Um, so there's a confidence thing happening there. There's a decision-making thing happening there with Skundrich that I, I hope people are appreciating because he's not just a guy that works hard. He's also one of the smarter players, low-key one of the smarter players on the team. It's just not at the stuff that's a lot of fun and results in a ton of goals. It's more all this structure talk we we get into with, with DC's pressing play. All of it requires players who know where to be ahead of time. They have to think faster than the other team. They have to think faster um, for the structure to work. Otherwise, the structure doesn't get it set in time. And then these escape routes that I mentioned before, they're, they become obvious. Um, and he has done a great job of making sure that his portion of the structure work, his portion of that off-ball running and anticipation gets done and gets done as early as possible so that everyone else can shine within this and the system can shine, which is really the big thing. Yes. Uh, we talked about that, that fourth goal. It was incredibly well-timed because it came right on the back of two Columbus goals in six minutes. Mm-hmm. And I think Skundrich, you know, he recognized the moment he recognized, um, what DC United were going through. And it was, it was tough. This game could have slipped away. It could oh, yeah. have gotten out of like, it, it very nearly did. I mean, uh, we've seen DC United in years past against, I, I can think of a four to four draw at Toronto that started with a three, nothing lead and a four, three loss to Seattle that started as a three, nothing lead. Um, we're literally, this situation has, has played out and, mm-hmm. and it worked out very, very differently. Um, so it was great to see the team, Skundrich included, 
get their their feet back under them and put the game away, not just write it out and survive, but actually put the game to bed. And yep. that was that was a major thing. And you know, Losada's teams, he he gets them in a place where they're they are going to survive giving up a goal or two goals. They he he imbues them with this uh, philosophy where it's like sometimes we're going to allow goals. That's okay. Just go score another one. And it, it also takes some mental strength to, to get through those moments, especially when the momentum shifts um, so far in the other team's favor as it did during that little spell midway through the second half in Columbus. Um, you know, apologies to Quincy Ameriqua, but Mental Strength League uh, was definitely going, going through my mind quite a lot there. I guess I shouldn't apologize. I should just, you know, say, here's some free buzz marketing for your thing. <laughs> he would, um, I think he would can, appreciate it. I, I hope he would. He's um, a he's a buzz marketing fan. I feel like I feel like I I can say that with confidence. Yeah, I think that's right. I think marketing is is a good chunk of what he thinks about on any given day. Um, how to get the mental strength league out there, and we're just helping him out. Um, another hurdle DC United had to overcome in this game was losing Bill Hamid, who left I think like in the in in like the seventeenth minute or mm-hmm. or so, pretty early, uh, with a an apparent hamstring. Uh, hamstring issue he sprinted off his line because Columbus they had a couple of uh, balls over the top that caught United out this was one of them and Hamid was quick mm-hmm. off his line to, to try to clear the danger and immediately grabbed his hamstring after jumping through the ball to block the chip and to try to clear it referee didn't stop play right away which was a little bit infuriating honestly um, but well, that's I mean gets on the ball and, and I, I understand he couldn't stop it right away, but there was a moment where Columbus kind of recycled possession and he just let the play continue. It's like the, the, the attack has taken a step backward and that's where you should stop when there's a goalkeeper injury. I think that's, but that, that's, but that's, that's not the way it works. Um, I've, I've seen it work that way though. It's not I supposed to, maybe it's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, if it's, if it's not a, if it's not a head injury, or the goalkeeper in the box while the ball's in there. Um, he's just out there. Then it's just like anyone else that gets hurt. Um, all this well, goes back, get to, back to his goal and play. continued yeah. Even once he was in the goal, waving his hand, asking the referee to stop play. Yeah. Uh, none, none of that and, matters though. Unfortunately, the, the way yeah. the referees are told to apply the, the, the stoppages now, that's how it is. And it goes back to people in the nineties getting mad about, teams not being willing to, th- to put the ball out. And we had, we had a system where it was like, well, it's not really codified. We're just all going to agree to be decent human beings about it. Um, and once that kind of went away and it was like, well, we have to codify it now. Um, these are the kind of things that can happen. Um, so un- unfortunately we are, we, we, we grew up too fast and got a little too modern. And now we get things like, you know, Columbus really probably should have been able to figure out a way to get that ball on frame before Hamid even got back into the goal. Um, they kind of made a mess of it, if we're being honest. Yeah. And if they do that, like if he's out and, you know, the ball, he blocked it, the ball goes immediately, immediately to Lucas Bellerion. And if Bellerion just chips it over the defense into the goal, like I don't have anything to complain about there from a process standpoint. That's, that's an unlucky break. Hamid was never going to get back at that point, injured or not. But once it was clear he was injured and the ball circulated, it, it seems like, I don't know. I've seen referees stop it for less when there's a goalie injury involved. 
the more important thing is that Bill Hamid is probably not playing this weekend. Hopefully it's not a serious issue. He'll be back sooner than later, but that did not look good the way he hobbled off the field afterward. No. And, 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 you know, it, it was a weird little play because he comes out and the way he approached the ball was to make sure he could swing through the ball, but also he had to hop up. So he's not running into Etienne. So there's not any suspicion of a foul. Um, and so he, he did all that. He managed, he avoided the contact with Etienne. He, he got to the ball first, put it up, uh, up high and away from the danger. He didn't let it get blocked. But in doing that, when he came down, I think it's the landing. It's not the swing at the ball. It's the landing. The landing was a little awkward. And I think that's where it happened. Um, you know, to John Keppen's credit, uh, he came in and looked solid. Uh, he's showed the the same thing he showed in his previous start where, you know, Chris Seitz had had a couple games that were, were pretty iffy and Losada decided to give Kempen a shot. And Kempen had played better, but it just so happened that the next game, Bill Hamid was back healthy again. Um, and so Kempen didn't really do anything to lose the job. It's just that the other guy, the best guy on the team for the job became healthy again. And so that's that. Um, so I have confidence in, in Kempen being able to come in. But, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast for like a decade now, um, there's not really replacing Bill Hamid. You, you hope you have a solid option behind him if he's out. Um, hopefully it's not as bad as it looked. Um, because it looked like a, a pretty, you know, a full-on hamstring strain, not like a cramp, not like something that could be worked out on the massage table in a couple days. Um, I, I hope that it is that, and it's something that with treatment he'll be fine. But um, yeah, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a good moment for sure, and and it might have a little bit of an effect here because unfortunately for DC, it seems like anytime they get two guys back they lose one immediately no matter what and it's it's bizarre because some of the stuff uh is you know guys that weren't necessarily fit enough to play Lozada style some of it is the schedule uh maybe a lot of it is the schedule if we're being honest because yeah. the schedule it, we're seeing league-wide um I, I saw um a a note from uh I, I'm not sure who it was uh, I don't have it in front of me but um, a DC fan and Mark Kastner, who we've had on as a guest, were arguing over whose injury significant injury table has been worse uh, this year. And Mark mentioned Mark was of the opinion that Seattle's has definitely been the worst. Mark is a Seattle fan; he's free to have his uh, opinion on that. They did have a game where they played like three 14 year olds, whatever it was. Um, so he might have a point there. But he also mentioned some other teams on that list as like teams that have had an extraordinary injury list. Um, and the thing that clicked for me wasn't taking a side in the argument. It was everyone's having terrible injury problems because this schedule is diabolical. It's not designed for soccer players. Yeah. The schedule is absurd, honestly. And I know they wanted to get all 34 games in and they, they were delayed by COVID and the labor talks at the start of the year, but yeah, this can't happen again in the future. This kind of, scheduling because it's it's malicious and it it hurts the the work it hurts the players it hurts the product that mls is trying to sell um it's it's generally bad capital b bad um not bad though winning four to two giving columbus their first loss in their new stadium uh that was pretty good all things considered um We'll be right back after this break to talk about the scoreless draw in Cincinnati, which was 
not bad, but certainly not as good as winning in Columbus. And uh, also preview the game in Montreal this weekend. Stick around. This is Phil Buster. All right, say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Going back in time a little bit from this midweek game against Columbus, uh, over the weekend, DC United took a scoreless draw uh, against FC Cincinnati out of TQL Stadium. Um, I'm not calling it the tickle, except I guess I just did. Anyway, uh, DC United got the result despite spending almost half the game a man down and finishing things up with nine men, um, having no actual center forwards on the game day roster. All things considered, even against Cincinnati, it's not the worst result. But going into it, it's not the result we wanted, certainly. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it's Cincinnati. Um, they're not very good. Uh, they don't have a lot of talent. Um, it's it's a game that DC should have put to bed uh, early. Um, and they did also get kind of lucky to get out of there with anything. Um, but... You know, this is a game state sport and what you do early in the game, if you do it well enough and you put yourself up like DC did in Columbus, uh, you tend to get the run of the green a lot of the time. And instead, this became a much uh, a riskier game because DC wasn't able to uh, turn the good stuff early into a lead, which, you know, Cincinnati, like Columbus, Cincinnati has been a team that's vulnerable early um, and DC had their chances to put the game away and and really just needed to be a little better there because this one could have gotten away from them. Yeah. I think this, some of this, like we talked, you, you talked in the last segment about your Jordy Reyna's showing in Cincinnati, leaving people pretty underwhelmed. And I think a lot of that is the fact that he is not a center forward and works better playing off of a center forward. Um, whereas he was asked to do it in this one. And, you know, DC United had two goals chalked off for offside. One of them, a beautiful headed goal by Moses Nyman, that was called back for an offside by Reyna, very narrow offside, but I think correctly called offside by Reyna in the buildup. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, had that goal stood, it would have been beautiful. Uh, probably would have meant a much better night for Moses Nyman as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, when you're, when you're playing without a forward, it's, it's hard to be as efficient 
as DC United were in Columbus with the chance, with creating chances and with converting them into goals. Um, I mentioned Moses Nyman. He was sent off for dog. So early in the second half, uh, misplays the ball a little bit, gets beaten to it by Brenner, takes him down from behind. Uh, DC United really had nobody back. And so I understand objections to the red card in that situation, but I completely understand calling that dog so because Brenner would have been in with a 40-yard run on goal with nobody around him. Um, so I, I don't really object to that call, um, as, as frustrating as it was, especially in contrast to what we saw in, in Columbus where yeah. Jonathan Mensah <laughs> takes down Kevin Paredes, who would have been one-on-one with the Eloy Room, who was rooted to his line. Um, there's no question – that Paredes is getting to the ball. He's probably shooting it first time. That's the definition of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity, but nothing, alas. United yeah, got the and, goal on the penalty kick, but... And, and there, there, were some, there was some lack of clarity about that second call that I guess we, even though we already talked about that game, um, there's, a, there's the idea of whether it's double jeopardy to give a red card and a penalty, um, but the key there is that you have to make a play on the ball to get the possible yellow card double jeopardy treatment. Um, or or try you, to make an attempt on the ball. Yeah, it, that, the whole, grab the, the guy's arm from behind him. Yeah, it's it's spelled out in the laws of the game. You have to make an attempt on the ball, and grabbing someone's shoulder and pulling them down is not an attempt on the ball. Um, so that one, absolutely, that that one I think was a stone cold uh, dog so red. This one, I, I'm with you that I understand why it was called. Um, I think from that distance, there will always be an argument that it's not it's not an obvious goal scoring opportunity yet because you're so far from goal. Um, one of the, one of the uh, stipulations on dog. So is distance to target uh, is how far you have to go. And this, I feel like is too far. Um, but I will say that uh, Rick uh, who's on our staff who writes our, our uh, fantasy stuff is also a referee. And he said he probably would have given uh, red with the same dog. So rationale. So um there is that. Like, I, I get the call on that one. Um, I just think that if that one's a red, then, like, Mensa gets, like, a, a, a dark burgundy. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, it's a little frustrating that we, we have two games in a row with a dog so situation, and the one that is more dog so gets the lesser punishment. But um, I will say also that this, this is a situation Nyaman has to learn from because he played himself into trouble. Um, he, he was trying to work his way out of a problem and ended up just compounding the problem until it became Brenner's taking the ball from him is, is in behind everybody. Um, and that it was a put down the shovel situation. Yes. Uh, and he, he then it's, kept digging. it's, it's a mistake. The gra- it's a, a big enough mistake where you put yourself in a situation where you can get a red card. Um, and I noticed in this game, the first thing that happened, you know, because it happened right near the touchline. So Nyman didn't have to make like a long run off the field or anything. He was right there. And Losada pulled him aside and was was talking to him. He wasn't yelling at him. He was just explaining. And it's just the quick, you know, I think you know what you did wrong. Um, it's just one of those situations where you, you I know you're trying to play out of trouble to keep this because DC had the whole reason DC had so many players up was that it was a corner. Um, or, or a set piece. I can't remember if it was a set piece or a corner, but they'd pushed a bunch of guys up in anticipation of a goal scoring opportunity and Cincinnati had cleared it as far as Nyman and he's under pressure from one person. He's like, well, if I can just play out of this pressure, 
we can go back to our attack with all these guys still forward. They don't have to, you know, the center backs don't have to give up being in the box. We, we stay dangerous if I'm, if I can get around this one guy, but the risk reward there, it's one of those situations where once his first touch got him into some trouble, the right move is honestly to just like put his foot through the ball, uh, hoof it down the field uh, or um, put it out of bounds, even, you know, do something else other than what he did. So um, it's definitely a learning moment for Nyman, and I'm sure the team's not going to like lose faith in him all of a sudden. Um, if anything, I think the the compounded schedule means that him not playing in Columbus it almost opens the door for him to have be, to be the fresh legs option uh, for for this next game against Montreal. But yeah, a definite learning experience for him that he shouldn't be getting himself into that situation where the red card is it is it is it not debate? We don't even have to have that debate. Another red card in this game uh, to Joseph Mora, deep into, or maybe not deep, but in second half stoppage time, second yellow. Um, not really a strong argument against it. Um, like, Mora's usually really good on slide tackles, and he was just late on this one. Um, it's a, a clever pass, and he just, he just was late and took a guy out, and especially that late in the game, after the ref starts throwing yellow cards around, that's going to be a yellow. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to Jonathan Mensa on Wednesday, though, he opened the second half by basically lining up Kevin Paredes and punishing him for stripping him earlier in the game and forcing that PK. He just ran him over, and Mensa's a lot bigger than Kevin Paredes, and he just ran into him at, from behind. Paredes was defenseless, and just if that's later in the game, that's a yellow card. If it's a player who's not already on a yellow, I think it's a yellow card. And Mensa, he got away twice. He should have. Been, he, he tried so hard to get himself thrown off, and he he did not. Um, I just wanted to complain about that again. But um, both Nyman and Mora missed the game in Columbus, uh, but but will be back presumably for for the game against Montreal. Um, you got into it earlier though, but the the biggest difference in these two games was that that early goal, and. Hopefully uh, it's something that United's players are continuing to, to take to heart and know that they are going to have a lot easier time when they, they score early. And that's been the pattern in, mm-hmm. so far this season, when, at least when United's playing fairly well, is they score early and they make it a much easier time for themselves for the most part, as opposed to when they don't score early and they have to really try to find a way to win at that point because the goals are a lot harder to come by later. Yeah, um, especially, you know, DC's had a pretty pronounced knack. I don't know how many times this season I've had to start a recap by saying that DC was off to a quick start in a game and, and had the first chance, and it was it's almost always like the third minute or the seventh minute or something. DC is very good at starting games in good form. They don't have to build their way into the game. They usually are ready to go at kickoff ready to catch the other team off guard, ready to apply the tactical tweaks that they've made specific for an opponent, all that stuff, it comes to the fore quickly. Um, and so DC gives itself the chance to get that lead re- on a regular basis. And in soccer, in a sport where teams tend to score, you know, combined for like three goals in most games, sometimes you get up towards uh, four, but probably not. Um Getting that first one is big, uh, and in this game, unfortunately, DC came really close, uh, frustratingly close, but uh, they weren't able to 
to actually make it pay off. And you end up having to sweat the game out. You end up having to sweat, uh, you know, playing down a man. I thought, I think 11 V 10 DC still maintained some real danger in this game. Um, to their credit, they actually, uh, were able to, to counter effectively enough that uh, I think it did influence Yapstam's substitutions. Um, they ended up having Nick Haglund playing right back for the entire match, which, uh, you know, he, he did, ironically enough, he did end up uh, creating the best chance Cincinnati had in the entire game, but it was in the box on a scramble where he had been up for a set piece. It wasn't an open play create. Uh, he wasn't creating from open play because he's a center back playing right back. He's not going to create very much. Um, but yeah, DC stayed dangerous during that period of time, but it still ended up being kind of a lucky escape uh, based on that half an hour that it didn't need to be this way. Um, if DC were just a little sharper, um, and some of that is who was available. You know, Ola Kamara was still in concussion protocol for that game. Um, DC left uh, Eric Sorga uh, on the bench until, I think, what, the 75th minute? Um, yeah, he came in late. And and then he didn't dress against uh, Columbus, which is a little interesting. I don't know what's going on there. I, I haven't heard much about what, what the situation is because – um, after the game, Losada, that Columbus game, Losada came in very in a very good mood, and he had a lot to say as opening comments before we even got to the questions. And eventually, the Sorga question, you know, we ran out of time. Um, this is one of those things that happens with Zoom, the Zoom era. The, the the feeling in the room isn't there, and so people aren't willing to let a couple more questions come in. This is not a DC United complaint. This is a Zoom complaint. It just happens in every one of these that I've done. Um, but yeah, so that that remains a, a something that's not clear. We get to talk to Losada tomorrow um, about this next game because, of course, there's another game right around the corner. But yeah, um, as far as how it applied to this game, um, DC stayed dangerous enough to keep themselves a threat. But there's a big difference between that and just getting out of Columbus you know, or getting out of Cincinnati, um, getting into halftime up one nothing or even or even more because Cincinnati is a team that is fragile. If you score on them early, they're going to be like, Oh, we're doing it again. Um, and that tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and DC kind of let them off the hook by not just putting this game out of reach early. Cause they, they, the chances were there for them to do it. It's not, it's not us being like, well, Cincinnati's bad and DC is good. So therefore DC should put them away early. It just, the opportunities were there to, to have finished this game off before it even really got started. Uh, the good news from this game is uh, Lucho Acosta did not exact any revenge against DC United, his former club, um, which I, I would have had real mixed feelings about, and I didn't have to <laughs> confront any of them uh, mm-hmm. because he everyone was kept off the scoreboard in this one. Um, getting out of the past, looking to the future now, DC United are back on buzzard point this Sunday night to host Club de Foot Montreal who are one point and two spots behind the black and red in the Eastern Conference. Columbus is sitting there on the, the playoff line in between D.C. and Montreal. Again, you can watch it uh, 8 p.m. Sunday night uh, on NBC Sports Washington in Spanish on Teleexitos. You can stream it on dcunited.com if you're in the, the broader DMV area or on ESPN Plus if you are further afield. Um, the, the thing that jumps out at me against Montreal or about Montreal right now is that they are in, they're almost a mirror image of DC United when it comes to form. 
United are unbeaten in four, and Montreal are winless in four. They, they kind of seem to be going opposite directions. Montreal started very hot. Uh, we're up in second place even for a while, I think. They, they even were in first maybe for a, a hot minute there. Um, and they've just been slowly dropping down the standings, whereas DC United has, you know, they started two and five and have been clawing their way up and improving in, in form on the field, not, not just in the wins column. But the, these two teams seem to be going opposite directions right now. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, when you look at Montreal's recent results and you try and you maybe can I find some pattern where they beating up on bad teams and then uh, all of a sudden they had to play someone good and it wasn't so easy. But it's not really it's, – it's honestly – it's kind of baffling because when you look at um, their form, this this set of four games where they haven't won a game, it's included a loss to Miami, uh, yep. which, you know – <laughs> is as bad as it you don't gets have to say year. more than that yeah you say can't what? lose to Miami um they lost to Miami but then when you go back out of that set and you say okay what about the games before that they were on a three-game winning streak before they hit this four-game winless run one of the games in that set is a win over Miami so they beat Miami they lost to Miami they beat NYCFC they lost to NYCFC uh they had that 5-4 game against Cincinnati that that uh, for Cincinnati was a disaster because I think they had the lead three times or something like that. Um, so yeah, there's not, there's not like a through line here. They played the revs very close. They only lost two one uh, on the road to new England. So it's not like they're playing. It's not like they're going out there just getting destroyed. Um, but suddenly they've started to find games very close. And maybe I shouldn't say suddenly, cause now that I'm look, I'm kind of scrolling through some of their other scores and it's a lot of, one goal games. Um, so I think we should expect uh, this to be another game that is tense and close. Um, and this comes back to something we were just talking about, which is DC's probably going to create some good chances early. They are in the habit of doing that. They've done that in like 75% of their games this year. Um, if DC can put some of those away, maybe that we don't have to sit there and wonder if this is going to be a game that is one, nothing or one, one, um, and maybe they they can operate from a position of uh, some real comfort because the the, Montre- the Montreal I was about to call them the Impact uh, the Footboys which I think is the name that I was trying to get going before that didn't take off uh, so I'm going to try again here the Footboys um, they I have it in my notes to call them the Footboys so yes thank you uh, thank you for your support um, <laughs> no, they've they are not necessarily a team that is is built to come back. They are they are a team that really needs that first goal to go their way. Um, and so I, I think this is a game where if DC can get out in front, um, as with most soccer games, this isn't like a deep insight. If you get the lead in soccer, you tend to win. Um, but I think that's amplified against Montreal. Um, DC in the last game really, you know, hammered away at Montreal, but a, a lot of that game went by without it felt it was kind of a game where there were nothing much happened, even though DC was trying really hard to make something happen. And that seemed to be Montreal's game plan in that one, that, where where they wanted to slow the game down, make it a slog, and not let much happen. And DC United created plenty. They had like two and a half expected goals, I think, off of twenty something shots. But they 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 were beset by by poor finishing and just bad luck. And Montreal got the scoreless game that they they seemed dead set on getting um maybe this is you know montreal lost in the return games against miami against nycfc 
maybe we see that DC United figures them out uh, this time. That's certainly what I'm, I'm hoping for. And like you said, that early goal, I think DC United had an early chance against Montreal last time. Mm-hmm. Didn't go in obviously. And we saw, you know, the slog that resulted. Um, hopefully we see uh, United with the, the early goal to make it easy on themselves. Well- that said, Montreal's not necessarily secure with a lead either. They right. were up two to nothing against Atlanta at home against Atlanta on Wednesday and were not able to make it stick. They ended up two to two. Um, yeah, can I actually and could have lost that game pretty easily? And I haven't watched that game yet, but I will. I will pull the curtain back a little bit and say that during DC's game in uh, our Black and Red United chat, um, I saw that that. Montreal had their second goal and I was like, well, it looks like DC is not going to be um, able to get up to sixth place if they win tonight, because that was the, they needed to win and have Montreal not win. And they took this two goal lead on Atlanta. And I was like, well, Atlanta's done. Um, they, they're not coming back from two down against anybody. Uh, and then Joseph Martinez Remember, this scored is 2021 Atlanta, not yes. 2018 Atlanta. <laughs> But Joseph Martinez scored like 30 seconds after I hit enter on that statement. And then they came back and actually tied the game. So uh, thanks Atlanta for helping DC go one (laughs) further spot up the table. Um, But yeah, this is um, one thing I will bring up is that we've had a nice, a nice week of weather here that is about to end. Um, (laughs) We're recording on Thursday and, and I think the forecast for this game uh, when I checked my weather app yesterday, it said that, that it was a, they were expecting a, about 91 in DC and and like muggy. Um so this is a game at the end of three games in 8 days once again where the weather is not going to be cooperative towards being uh at 100 you know 100 miles an hour for 90 minutes. This is a game where the, all the all the indicators point to if you can get out in front in the first 30 minutes this is this is a game to you're, you're going to want to do it because Montreal is not that good at coming back. They're not really built that way. They're a counterattacking team. Um, they're not a pressing transition team. They're a counterattacking transition team. Um, and the fact that the weather is just not conducive towards running or being outside for, for 90 minutes, um, all of those things point to uh, the opening stages of this game being vital. It's not where the game is going to be won and lost necessarily, but you really set yourself up uh, very well to not have to pour so much into the game, which we've talked about a few times this year where DC has unfortunately made it hard on themselves and they've given themselves so much extra work to do that doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and that leads to things that leads to, for example, DC in this game against Columbus that we're coming off of, they got that third goal. I think that allows them to bring Ola Kamara out in the 40, 46 minute rather than the 60th minute. For example, they get 15 minutes of rest for him by getting, getting out in front and giving themselves the gift of resting players. They give themselves the option of doing something that might not have been on the table uh, without that third goal. So um, all of which is to say, I, I, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the first few minutes of the game, because obviously there's still many more minutes to play in any given game, but I do kind of feel like this game, it kind of screams first 30. If you can get to one nothing at that point, you're setting yourself up for uh, a really good situation. And that's that's all soccer is. You're trying to set yourself up for better, better, than, better than 50-50 odds is what you're looking for over and over again. And eventually it tends to pay off. 
Um, one thing that will be in United's favor is two starters from the Atlanta game will be missing for, for this game for Montreal. Victor Wanyama and Rudy Camacho, uh, central midfielder and a, their, their center center back um, are both out with red card suspensions. Um, Wanyama got into a, a very funny little altercation in, literally inside the goal with, yes. with Joseph Martinez. He just he didn't want Joseph to walk out of the goal, I guess, and um, got in his face. Joseph tried to push past him. He wouldn't let him. Uh, some hands were placed on throats. Hands were thrown. Uh, both players uh, did not initially get a red card. They both initially got a yellow card, but it was changed to red on VAR. Um, yeah. They're both going to be out. And then uh, Rudy Camacho uh, fouled Joseph Martinez earlier in the game uh, and actually got Dogso. So we know that the, the Dogso rule did not stop existing between Saturday and Wednesday because it was mm-hmm. applied in this game. Uh, it's just not in Columbus. Um, but Rudy Camacho will be out for, for this game as well. Um, so United has, you know, we're obviously going to be missing uh, – a, a share of players as well, but these are two pretty important players for Montreal that are going to be gone. Yeah. You know, Wanyama is Montreal's captain. Uh, the, the way they've been setting up with their back three, it's, it's not, it's usually um, there's usually, it's not a line of three. So you're, you're losing one of your two uh, rather than three. They usually have one guy a little further forward rather than in a group uh, back with the rest of the midfielders. So, um, it's extra work for that guy that those two players have extra work, uh, extra responsibilities. Um, they do have Samuel Piet. He didn't start this game. He's been, I think lately kind of pushed out by, um, Ahmed Hamdi, one of their off season acquisitions. Um, so it's not like they are stuck playing like a rookie that's never, that has no experience, but, um, they also have, I think it's, um, uh, Emmanuel Maciel, uh, one of their other defensive midfielders. So they've got some options, but there's a reason, you know, Wanyama's captain, uh, he ha- kind of has a skill set that Piet and Maciel do not bring to the table, which is um, he is more physically strong in the tackle. He's got more experience. He's seen more things. His, his soccer IQ is higher uh, than those guys. So kind of across the board, he's a better player. Um, so it's not going to be like they're just plugging in some rookie who's never seen any action before, but, it is definitely a drop-off. Um, Camacho is another big absence because he's been kind of um, – they've seen some rotation in their back three uh, who cycles in and out or, or back five a lot of times rather than back three. Um, but Camacho's been consistent. He's been one of the guys that gets to play pretty much every week. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I, I guess maybe the option would be like Joel Waterman, who is a young defender that they've played some um coming in and and Kiki Struna moving into the middle but um I'm, I'm not 100% sure how they're going to approach it because to have both of those players out have your two you know the players that the coach trusts the most in the spine of his team both go out with red cards um it might it might result in Wilfred Nancy deciding that he needs to go further than just plugging in the next guy up it might be a maybe I need to adjust the the formation for this game rather than okay, I'm going to turn to this guy for that guy and this guy for that guy. And it's everything else is the same. This is the kind of thing where you get into a, where a coach is like, maybe we need to alter it more than we normally would to, to survive this next game, because we're not really built to, 
to play without these guys. I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm actually going to try and pull it up as to how what share of the minutes uh, Wanyama has played this year, but I'm I'm going to guess that he's probably appeared in just about every Montreal game of this season. So it's kind of a big deal uh, when you lose someone that's that's just a uh, an every game, uh, not just your captain, but an every game starter in central midfield. Uh, you're not really set up to deal with that. It turns out, um, yeah, he, he and Camacho are top three in minutes played for them. Camacho is the most minutes played for Montreal of anyone. Wanyama is third. Georgi Mihailovic is the guy between them. So, yeah, these are big absences. You mentioned the formation change. Victor, or, uh, sorry, Wilfred Nancy seems to prefer a five-three-two or three-five-two, however you want to call it. But something that uh, I remember DC United players and maybe even Hernan Losada mentioning after the the win against Miami is Phil Neville changed to a three-back system for that. And DC United saw it coming, and they were excited because they got to press basically 1v1, create mm-hmm. 1v1 battles in the attacking third, which you don't usually get to do that much. And this is a team that's built to win or at least a, a tactical system that's designed to win those one-on-one battles, to set them up and win them and exploit those, those little victories. And uh, Montreal missing their number one central midfielder, their number one center back, um, you, you kind of look at that and say, if they do go with a three-back or five-back, those 1v1 battles in the press could be a big opportunity for D.C. United. So I wouldn't actually, now that you mention it, be that surprised if Nancy decides we're going to, we're going to switch it out because United don't usually get to play against the three back system. Most teams in MLS and especially the East play with a four back, usually a four, two, three, one, four, three, three, or there's a couple of four, four, two diamond teams. Um, but, but most teams in, in MLS and especially the East, it seems are, are really four back setups. Um, so I was excited to see them go against the three back. And now I'm a, starting I'm, I'm convinced we're probably not going to see that so thanks jason <laughs> i mean it's unclear it's unclear what nancy is going to do because we don't have a long track record with uh his habits over the years so um it could be as simple as them being like next man up that's that's just the way it's going to be um i i don't want to to over exaggerate yeah i'm just saying that he should at least be if it were me, at least I would be like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we have to consider some other option than just plugging in the next guys. Um, I will say one of the reasons that 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 series of one v ones panned out against Miami and didn't pan out against Montreal is that Montreal is better organized because they have a better coach um, than than yeah. Miami, and so they prevent that. They make sure that guys don't get caught isolated and aren't always going one v one over and over again. Um, Miami, I think shifted the guys around and we're like, well, we changed the formation. So that's it. Right. Um, and it turns out that's not it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, uh, that I guess Miami just does not care to pay attention to, but Nancy's not like that. He he's sharp. Um, Montreal has stuck around in the playoff picture despite not really having, um, it's, it's not a team where you say, wow, what a bunch of talented players. Why are they only in seventh? You say, wow, this team is kind of overachieving to be in seventh. Um, So some of that is coaching. And so it will be harder to leverage the situation into getting the 1v1s all over the field 
uh, that DC thrived against the last, you know, some of these other times they've played a team that plays with three or five in the bat. Um, hopefully they can manufacture those opportunities, but they will have to work for them. Whereas Miami just sort of was like, here, take it. I, I don't know. Um, we're, we're, yeah. we're moving guys around on the chalkboard. I, I, if it works, it works. And it didn't work. And that was great. Well, we'll see how DC, well, we'll see what Montreal does and how DC United reacts to it this Sunday night. Uh, be sure to try to get down to Buzzard Point for it. And if you can't, obviously, it'll be televised in all the usual spots. That does it for us this week. We will be back next week to talk to you. Uh, until then, know that you can find us at blackandredunited.com. You can also uh, support us financially and get early access to preview episodes most weeks. Um, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We are on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. We have email. We are, we're not monsters here. Uh, you can send emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. You can download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please do give us ratings and reviews, especially if they're good. If they're bad, you can keep it to yourself. I'm not going to you know, force you to give us a bad review. But if you have nice things to say about us, please do that uh, on, on the podcatcher of your choice. And uh, also tell friends about the show. That's, that's about the best way to get the word out about this particular podcast. Uh, so for Jason and the absent Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Messi, come to filibuster. <laughs>